Welcome to the Invisible India podcast. I'm Jessica. And I'm Abhishek. We are a cross-cultural couple doing life in India, exploring the lesser-known mysteries of Indian culture, interviewing fascinating figures who have chartered new territories, and sharing life as we raise our multicultural family amongst the complexities of modern Indian life. So, Namaskaram, Aparnaji. Nice to meet you finally. So glad to connect. Um, for those of you who don't know, Aparnashi is a American-born Malu transfer. Grew up in Kerala. Um, woman who has a lot of amazing life experiences, and we're going to get into that a little bit today. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Aparna. Thank you for having me. Really nice to be on the show and finally actually seeing you and speaking with you face to face, face to face virtually. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about some things that I'm really passionate about. And I know that your kids are kind of having a similar upbringing to what I did. So really excited to kind of share some insights and that kind of stuff today. Wonderful. So great. So, um, I just wanted to learn a little bit more about your upbringing and I know you've given a lot of interviews online and talking about your childhood, talking about your experience, talking about moving from the US to Kerala in India and learning Malayalam. But I wanted to specifically ask a little bit more about kind of the community aspect of your upbringing and how um, you felt influenced by Indian culture growing up and learning a little bit more. And for those of you who, who know, who follow us on the Invisible India podcast, um, my kids are going through a somewhat similar experience to Aparna. So I wanted to get some advice from Aparnaji today <laughs> to learn a little bit how I could be uh, a better parent and understand a little more about what my kids are going through growing up in India. So um, could you just give us a little uh, rundown on your background? I mean, you don't have to go long. You know, there's been plenty of other interviews that you've done, but just give us a little, little introduction. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. So basically, um, I guess it all starts with your parents, right? So my parents loved to travel. Both of them were traveling and also kind of looking for a deeper meaning to life on their own paths. My mom is from South America, my dad is from the United States, and they were just doing their own thing. They actually met in India um, a long time ago, <laughs> and they just kind of hit it off. And of course, um, they decided once later in life, okay, let's make this our home base. But first, uh, they, they had me and they wanted me to be an American citizen, so they made sure to like go to the US for a few years. And so I'm American, um, although I spent most of my upbringing, my crucial ra getting raised years in India. So when I was three years old, three to 15, I was settled, for, for the first year we traveled a little bit, but then I was settled in an ashram community in South India, Kerala, Amma's ashram, Mata Mertanandame Amma. You may know her as the hugging saint. She travels around the world hugging and she's a huge humanitarian um, person of this, of this age. So yeah, um, basically we settled in Amma's ashram 
And it's a little bit different, of course, than uh, your children who are growing up maybe in a city or in a town in India, more in the, the public's eye. We were a little bit more sheltered. Um, the people around us were all friends and family and we knew them and you know that type of thing and there was a mix of both westerners and indians so which is why i have an american accent today and uh <laughs> yeah a lot of people ask me and so when i was about 15 years old my dad actually moved to america when i was six and when i was 15 i was a teenager i was starting to have these desires of you know, exploring the world, seeing America. And the only time I had seen America before that was um, every other year, I would go for my Christmas vacation to see my grandmother who lived in New Mexico. So my dad would come pick me up and we would go over to, New, or I would come with my mom and we would go to New Mexico. And other than that, I didn't really have any idea of Western culture. Since it was an ashram setting, we didn't really have TV or internet like easily accessible. So I didn't really know much about pop culture or American movies or anything. And when I was 15, I moved to the United States. And I'm sure you would assume there was definitely some sort of culture shock involved in that transition. So that's kind of like the just... So three to 15, India, 15, and I'm still kind of in the West. Um, but a few years ago, I moved to Spain, which is where my wife is from. And now we have settled in France because of her mm. work here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're a really great example of a third culture kid. If <laughs> you've heard of that For sure. term, you probably have a lot of things in common with people that are in the army and things mm -hmm. of that sort. However, you've you had the connection to be able to really be a part of a uh, an inclusive indian community and um i'm going to hear more about that um as far as your upbringing in india i imagine in the ashram it was a very like i said like inclusive environment where there were people were used to a lot of foreigners and so did you ever feel like um you had to kind of modify yourself to fit in or was it just like a very natural kind of community acceptance um it definitely was more of an accepting environment mm. um, because they were used to westerners coming through either just for visiting or for actually staying there like my mother she basically has given up her western life and she lives permanently in the ashram doing a lot of service mm. And she doesn't like coming back here. So if I want to see my mom, I have to go back there, which yeah. is fine with me. I love going back. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of people, it's just, it is very welcoming and a, and a homey feel there. Hmm. But then there's the schooling aspect of it. I did go to first a, a public school when I was quite young hmm. and then um, carried on to a private Indian school. Hmm. The public school was not an English medium school. Uh, so I, that, at that point, that's when I learned the alphabet. Um, I was in UKG, they, they say, it's under kindergarten. Yes. And uh, so I learned the Malayalam alphabet there. And uh, But when I transferred to the private, univer uh, private um, school system, actually Malayalam was an optional language, even though we were in Kerala, and I took Sanskrit instead. Mm. So to this day, my reading and writing of Malayalam is very poor. 
Um, but I'm okay with that. There's not much reading that I do. Um, but speaking, I was able to learn to speak by uh, just conversing with my friends, hanging out with my friends. It was a very, so a lot of people ask like, how come you have like that careless slang? It's just really because I just like was raised with the kids and like by playing and fighting. That's how yes. I learned to speak. So that's why <laughs> I speak like them. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. You know, you, um, your, your Instagram name is inverted coconut. And for anyone that, that hadn't thought about that or thought through that, I think there's such a brilliant way of explaining. Um, our friend, Sam George is the author of a book called the coconut generation. And in that book, he explains he himself, he actually is a, um, diaspora, uh, Malayali. He grew up, I think he, I believe he grew up in the Anduman uh, Nicobar Islands or somewhere, um, I could be wrong about that, but somewhere near uh, South India, but not actually in Kerala. So um, he himself has a lot of experience of kind of uh, being outside India and, and, and um, whatever, I'll cut this part. So in the book, he talks about that a coconut describes a lot of the diaspora Indians today, where you're brown on the outside, but you're white on the inside. If you've grown up in the West, you look Indian, your parents might be um, very traditional Indian, India. right? But you yourself actually relate more with your um, Western peers. And so mm -hmm. to hear your <laughs> explanation of yourself of, I'm actually the opposite of that. <laughs> I'm yeah, white on the exactly. outside, but I have this upbringing where I actually feel very Indian. I emote very Indian. I relate mm -hmm. very Indian because of the way that I grew up. And I feel that actually in, and so about my experience, um, I myself am American. I, I came to India first, you know, 14 years back. Um, but I still very, my formational years were all in the United States. And mm -hmm. My kids, uh, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old. My kids are having an experience where they're in between these two worlds. They, um, I, and I, I want to talk about my daughter specifically because my son had the first two years of his life in the U.S. And though he looks very Indian, I mean, you would not think that his mother is white when you look at him. Um, when we they mm -hmm. go in public, it's like, Indian you know, it's just like he's completely looks Indian. Um, but my daughter, <laughs> my daughter, who is actually born here, who speaks like Bihari Hindi, she's like totally like Bihari accent, um, but she looks presents very white in her physical mm -hmm. appearance. She has this like kind of blondish, curly hair. She's has light skin, and um, some of her features are more a lot like me. So we've already had some experiences where <laughs> uh, a few months ago, someone came to our house and um, they didn't realize, it was one of my husband's colleagues actually, um, came to our house and I was in the other room and they came in and my daughter had come out and the per <laughs> this person didn't really know the difference. He said, and my husband then said, Ah, and that person felt very embarrassed. And then I come out and he looks, 
okay her actually angrej ka bachcha hai actually so um uh people are a bit confused about her because she presents very white but she acts very indian and and um mm-hmm. she even speaks english with an indian accent and she's only been to america mm-hmm. once for three months so all she knows is the life here um so my question and my kind of questions for her for you are how can i be a good parent to someone who is growing up in this experience who is like presenting very white um and again like we don't really live in like a compound kind of situation we live in a very mm-hmm. like traditional situation where there aren't very many white people um and you're kind of expected just to behave like in indian or like like a bihari specifically So what mm-hmm. tips and advice do you have me or stories and anecdotes do you have from your childhood that you'd like to share with me to, to help me be a better parent for my kid <laughs> as she grows up and searches through her own identity? Yeah, it seems like your daughter is having a very similar upbringing than I did in terms of, you know, looking white on the outside but growing up in India and having that identity and speaking like the natives and stuff like that. Um Initially for me it was very difficult because it did take me a couple years to learn the language. And during the this time, um I felt like an outsider and I felt I wasn't in my in my community and the people didn't understand me. Even though I was quite young, I do remember having those ill feelings and not only it didn't only come from me, it was also external because the kids also there the native indian kids had never really engaged or even seen a westerner face to face so there are some words that in in malayalam they call people of white skin which i used to be called all the time mm. saipe and madame mm. and uh it, it's not like the actual meaning of the words aren't bad but the way they say it it's like you're mm. different mm-hmm. and like you know and it had that like oh mm-hmm. and then I, but i didn't get it. i was so young i didn't understand why i was different mm-hmm. and but that changed gradually as i learned the language mm. so malayalam was really the bridge between the two cultures for mm. me and once i l- learned and developed that the language skill people just accepted me as their own mm. and those are the beautiful parts of my upbringing that i really cherish and remember mm. and uh it was really like that barrier was gone mm. and i was just part of them and you know for competitions sometimes they would like prefer to uh stick with indians because of the accent but after some time i was part of like the singing competitions and that type of thing cuz it's just like the dance too mm. and that kind of stuff so definitely learning the language which you said she's already got a hang of so i don't think that part will be such a big deal the thing though is some type of like education at home definitely to kind of let her know you know you may look different mm. but maybe she, you can give her some words of wisdom to also like tell the other kids like we're not the same like skin color or we are the mm-hmm. same skin color doesn't matter like that kind of thing mm-hmm. so that she has something to say to them yeah. to you know so that she doesn't always like get hurt but she has a response to them that makes sense mm. that they will understand and they'll be like oh actually you know that's true we were basically the same mm. um so that would have really helped i think for in my upbringing mm. 
Another thing when I look back, I'm not sure if your children are involved in like dance or, or music in India, are they? A little bit. Mm-hmm. More sports. Yeah. Yeah, more sports. More sports. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I wish I had. Um, I didn't really learn singing or a proper Indian dance. And when you, you know, a lot of the things that the Western culture sees about India is the music and the dance. So when I later in life moved to the United States, I often got the question, oh, can you sing or can you mm. dance or that type of thing? And it just didn't feel good to say no every time. Like, I mean, okay, yeah, I sing a little bit here and there. I did like a, some dance, but it's just, I'm not trained classically mm. and I had to always say no for mm. that. And that made me feel like later in life a little bit mm. like, oh, damn, I missed out on the mm. opportunity. Mm. So that's one thing I have maybe like get them involved with cultural um, stuff like that. Mm. Um, other than that, I think you're doing a great job. I'm really excited <laughs> to hopefully one day meet your kids. Yeah, yeah I hope we can meet face to face too. Um, I really appreciate those words. And um, I also want to ask from a from the from a slightly opposite perspective as a woman now you've had you've gone to the u.s you said you didn't have much exposure to western culture was there anything that your parents could have well i don't want to say it that way was there anything that you felt would have served you um better in your transition to the west um, maybe some um, additional education at home or exposure to pop culture or anything of that sort. Because if you're living in, and, and I feel there's some similarities where, you know, I'm not in Delhi, Mumbai, uh, Bangalore, any of the larger metropolitans. So we don't have a lot of exposure to Western culture unless I specifically bring it into the home um, or my husband brings it into the home. So um, what are what are some ways that would have would help would have helped you transition i guess to a more like global lifestyle which you're not living today yeah i definitely have answers to that because over my my years in the west i've realized more and more some things that could have been developed at a younger age the first one that comes to mind is critical thinking I'm not sure if it's the same in North India in South India, but in school you're learned to you memorize the books as you go. Like the teacher gives you a paragraph and you memorize word by word and you don't actually understand it. And you, it's hard, exactly, and it's hard to make your own decisions. And this is something I struggled with a lot when I came to complete my education, my higher education in the United States. Um, critical thinking is definitely looking at two decisions and making a decision for yourself, not just raising your hand because the people in front of you has raised your hands. So that's number one. Number two is humor. In the West, humor is very sarcastic. Very sarcastic. Uh, very sarcastic, but in India, it's more literal. Yeah. And at least in Kerala, people... To, to make something funny, they tend to make fun of you mm. or make fun of something. Mm. And it's not in a way that hurts. It's just in a way to make you laugh. Mm-hmm. Like you see yourself mm. in a third perspective and you laugh about it. And I find that type of humor very funny. 
But in social situations in the West, no. where people are being very sarcastic, <laughs> I just, it goes over my head and I just don't get it. And it really makes me feel like I'm not part of like the group or it, there's definitely some like <laughs> difference there. So I don't know, maybe. Right. Have teaching. Them have like a. That self deprecation. You have, yeah, exactly. Self deprecation <laughs> yeah. works. Definitely in the West. I know this, I haven't really tried it out here. I'm not sure, but yeah, you're totally right. Like, I can imagine some awkward situations of being like, you know, calling your friend fat or something, and in the U.S. and and everyone here would think that's hilarious. They're like, oh, he's yeah. you know whatever, and there it's like, you did not just say. That. I, I can imagine. No, don't I can imagine the situation. I had to learn the hard way that you just oh. don't say that. <laughs> But yeah, like in India also, um, it's definitely more of like a conservative, like you don't speak unless like you're being spoken to, that type of thing. And it was difficult for me to speak up, like when if you're at a dining table or if you go out with your friends and you're all eating dinner and everybody's t talking and I always have, even to this day, I have a hard time knowing when it's my turn to speak or, or it's just like I don't have that natural flow of engaging in conversation and I really really do believe it comes from that like oh you're not supposed to speak now because you're being spoken to type of thing and you just kind of sit there and listen and yeah so those are the I think the top three things that have been a little bit difficult for me in the west, moving to mm. the west from India that is a very good point um and I can definitely see that challenge. And even between my husband and I, we often have that um, challenge of, you know, we're in a social situation and my husband is, you know, Indians in general, I think are some of the best question askers. You can just, you know, people just have so much curiosity and they will keep asking mm -hmm. you, asking you, asking you. And it's almost arrogant to just insert something about yourself. Whereas mm. in Western communication, you just kind of start talking about yourself. That's just kind of, I talk about myself and then you talk about yourself. That's kind of the understanding. And, yeah. and sometimes we would have these whole conversations where, you know, we're with someone and my husband's just asking questions to that person. And I'm like, we left that the conversation and they're, we're like, we didn't tell anything about what we're doing right now, what's going on with this, what's going on that, because and I'm not slamming on Americans, but I'm slamming on Americans because I'm an American, you're an American, we can do that. <laughs> but like, we need to be so much better at asking questions um, as Americans rather than just kind of blurting out things about ourselves and then going on to the next thing. So that I can see, that's a great point. I think that's something that we'll need to think about <laughs> in the future. Yeah, totally. Uh, mm -hmm. So... Um, I think, you know, as this is, this has been such a great conversation and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk through some of your, um, journeys through identity and, um, and, and your just connection with Indian culture and, and how I can kind of help my kids to healthily in a healthy way, facilitate and understand that kind of sense of belonging. So how do I, as a parent kind of help my kids like find their way home um in their identity yeah the last thing i i would like to add is it might be difficult because they look so different and they live somewhere and then when they do go to the united states 
again, they're going to feel out of place. And this is just something they're going to have to learn to deal with. And yes, you can help them at home by, you know, warning them and you, you'll always be there for them. But it's also something they're going to have to figure out on their own eventually, you know, when they, they grow up. So it's just something like you can let them know, by the way, you may not feel all the way Indian when you are in India and you may not feel all the way Western when you are in America, but you're amazing either way and just to value what the difference that they carry within them. Because the first few years when I went to the United States, I really tried to black off and, you know, just put away, put aside the Indian roots that I had to try to fit into the Western culture. That's a big thing that I did. And it, for two years, I just, I didn't want anything to do with India, like nothing. And just to, because I needed to learn, I had to suddenly watch all these, to like fit in uh, Western music, movies, all these things, how to communicate, all these things. And I just tried to fit it all in. And I really just like said no to my identity and tried to fit in somewhere else. And this made me so sad. Like I was not a happy person. I was like a introverted, sad girl trying to find her way and was just keep getting more and more lost because I was going further and further away from my own self. So like thinking about that, because that might happen to your children as well. So, you know, you can start helping them now with baby steps, maybe not just because I, when I went to the United States, I would go for maybe not even a month. It was like two to three weeks at a time. So if you do go, maybe go for a few months and, and have them meet people, meet children their age and just as much as possible, let them just hang out with their, with their friends there and so that they get a little bit more identity from that aspect because it's really difficult to get it all when they're like 15 years old. Yes. So, and then like <laughs> a big, exactly. A big awakening moment for me was a few years later when I was just so over trying to fit in and trying to hide myself. I, I had this like epiphany where I was like, actually my father really helped me. This is like one of the changing moments of my life. He was like, because I wanted to change schools, I like didn't like anyone, no one liked me. And um, he's like, look, Aparna, you grew up in India. You can't change that fact. You have India within yourself. And that's a beautiful thing. Find that beauty, realize it for yourself and express that. Don't try to pretend like you're somebody else because that pretending is what people don't like. They want to see you. And that day, I actually went to school and I was like, okay, okay, be me, be me. Oh. And I started smiling at people and I think they just noticed that that shift happened and they would smile back and then I would notice that my smile was contagious because they would take it to the next and it was like the butterfly effect. And then that year was actually the best year of my life ever. I was in America, I had finally accepted myself and people loved me for who I was. So that's just something that your children are going to have to realize on their own. And there's definitely things you can do on the way to prevent like such a catastrophic transition. But I mean, it's just going to have to happen. <laughs> mm. Wow. Yeah. What a truth bomb. What a, what a enlightening moment in your life. And Yeah, definitely. Forever grateful for my father. 
Well, thank you so much, Aparna. I really enjoy talking to you. Um, and yeah, I hope that we can meet face to face. And uh, man, I just thank you so much for sharing your journey and being vulnerable with us and with with um, our listeners and, and people who watch. And um, I just really hope that your story helps more people. I think it already has helped a lot of people. Uh, people can find you on Instagram at inverted coconut. Um, anywhere else people can find you or connect with you? Well, I just started the YouTube. It's the same name, inverted oh. coconut, but it's basically all the same content just on there. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on your amazing show. And I really do hope because so far I've been speaking a lot to an Indian audience, but I know that there's a lot of Westerners who have married into Indian life and that type of thing. And I would love to be able to help in any way possible. So thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And yeah, much love to all of your family. And once again, thank you so much. Nani namaskaram. Namaskaram. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening. Sunni ke liye baad baad dhaniyaad. And really, let's show our love to Aparna and comment. Please let us know what you thought about this episode. Of course, you can find us on YouTube. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and then Indian sites too, Geo Savan, Ghana. You can write to us at jessica at invisibleindiapodcast.com. Of course, our website, invisibleindiapodcast.com, has all of our episodes, videos, pictures, and more stuff on there. Social media, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening, and The music for the Invisible India podcast is performed by Christopher Halen Sitar and Ed Hanley on Tabla on Rag Bhim Kalasi.